0: I invite you to take your Bibles and go over to Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12. So follow along, please, as you're there with me. In him also it says, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning we will talk about things that we cannot see but we know are real. Things that are related to our position in you and things that we need you by your spirit to help us know how to move from spiritual kind of ethereal ideas into the real, where the rubber meets the road kind of life. We need your help to translate positional realities into where we really live. So would you help us today? As we talk about some theological ideas, some high biblical truths to bring it right to where we all will be tomorrow morning. And we need your help to take this stuff right into the marketplace, to our homes, um, back to school with us in a few weeks, off to college. We, We need your help to apply this text. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I told you that Paul in colossians 2:10 or 9 and 10 said we need to think about our thinking we need to think about our thinking say that with me we need to think about our thinking i challenged you with the warning that there's a possibility of spiritual drift and i suggested to you that spiritual drift is uh, what happens when you begin to put your trust in good things but you put them on par with christ Things that used to lead you to Jesus, now you're beginning to trust in. And spiritual drift can happen very, very easily. And so Paul warns us, think about your thinking. I said it before, say it again. The problem with our thinking is we don't think about our thinking. We don't stop and ask ourselves, what am I thinking right now? Instead, we just live in a world where you just feel something. And just because we feel something doesn't mean that it's true. So that's what we need to be warned about last week, this danger. Well... The Apostle Paul this week tells us what we should be thinking. And he will, for the next number of weeks, through Colossians 2 and the better part of Colossians 3, tell us what we ought to be focusing on. So we're going to come to a passage like in Colossians 3.1, which says, If you've been raised with Christ, then seek those things that are above. And what you're going to find in the next number of weeks, that Jesus-centered thinking means not only that I need to be warned about my thinking, but it also means I need to think the things that Paul's calling me to think about. And central to what we ought to think about is our position in Christ. You're going to see all over this book, uh, in Christ, with Christ, by Christ, uh, there's this idea of this positional reality that we have in Jesus. And central to what it means to think rightly, or to have Jesus-centered thinking, is to understand your position in Christ and what that means for how you live. Or let me um, put it very simply, the heart of practical Christian living or the heart of practical Christianity is learning to live on the basis of your spiritual position. Meaning that there is a spiritual position reality in your life and the way that practical Christianity is supposed to work is that in light of that position, you've figured out how to translate that into where you live. So it's position life, position life, position life in him and by him and with him and that works in how I live fact of the matter is, though, that many believers do not easily make the connection between these spiritual realities and where they live. They separate who Jesus is and who they are in him from where they live. This morning, I have three different groups of people on my mind and heart. The first group are those who have, frankly, no spiritual position in Christ, because this very moment, you've never made the decision to receive Christ as your Savior. You're still in your sins, And you have no relationship with God. Your prayers don't do anything. The reading of the Bible doesn't make sense because of the simple fact that you've never confessed Jesus as Lord. Understand, you are living in a spiritual position today. And that spiritual position is in judgment of God, or in judgment, underneath the wrath of God, and until you rectify that relationship with God, you will never be right with your Creator. So, I have you on my mind. I also have those who know Christ as their Savior, they've made that decision, but they really don't understand what the whole position thing is all about. They don't, when they see things like in Him, by Him, with Him, and for Him, they don't, they don't know about spiritual positions. And and therefore, it doesn't make sense. They don't know about their inheritance in Christ. They just don't understand it. And then the third group, which I think relates probably to, to most of us, is that we may have read or seen or heard about these spiritual positions that we have in Christ, but somehow we have developed a separation between those things that we see about Jesus and us in Jesus from where we live. We don't know how to make the connection between being rooted and built in him and how to raise kids. We don't know the connection between what it means to be baptized in Him or to be circumcised with Him and, and then to relate that to how we conduct ourselves in the office or how that relates to a friend who's, who's got a really difficult marriage problem. We, we don't make those connections. And so this morning, what I want to do is try and take those things, our spiritual position where we live, and try and bring them together and link them. And this morning, we're going to do that by looking at two symbols that we find in this text. The two symbols are circumcision and baptism. And now like all symbols, each of them has an important place in biblical history, but the symbol in and of itself was not meant to stand alone. The symbol, like all symbols, was meant or designed to represent something else. So circumcision represents a spiritual truth. A baptism represents a spiritual truth. And those symbols are helpful because they, they help us put handles on something that's hard for our minds to get a hold of. So that when you see someone baptized in the waters of baptism here, there's something else that's being pictured beside this person going under and coming up. Same thing in the Old Testament concept of circumcision. Both were God-given symbols or illustrations to illustrate something that's really important. Here's the problem. That often we remember the symbol or we remember the illustration and we forget the truth. Don't believe me? Let me illustrate that for you about this point about illustrations. Okay? It is this. Some of you have been very um, generous and kind with giving me many rolls of duct tape. <clears throat> um, someone even last week left a duct tape purse up here for me. I, I decided not to wear it this morning, but uh, they, I gave that to my kids. And uh, many of you have commented about the the, the duct tape illustration. Okay? We've ta- I've talked about it at small groups, been out to coffee. Hey, I love that duct tape illustration. But the reality is that we often remember the illustration and we forget the point. Okay? And if I were to ask you about the illustration, you could say, oh yeah, I remember the duct tape glove and the wallets. And I would say, but what was the spiritual point? You, um, It was good. Uh, I don't remember what it was. And, and the spiritual point of that was duct tape can't fix everything, but Jesus can. right? That was the idea. And oh, okay, now I remember. Well, see, what happens is those illustrations, vivid and clear, they stick. That's the power of an illustration. But you have to continually labor to connect the illustration to the spiritual truth behind it. Otherwise, people end up just remembering the illustration and forgetting the truth. And that happens with circumcision in the Old Testament. And it also happens with baptism. It happens with any symbol that we use. And therefore, this morning I want to look at these two symbols, baptism and circumcision, and ask ourselves, what do these symbols mean? And what in the world does it mean that I'm circumcised with him and I'm baptized with him? What does that mean? And that's what we're going to look at. And then how does that connect in our lives? So here's the first one. The first symbol is that of circumcision. The text begins in verse 11. In him also you were circumcised. So notice two things. One, there's a symbol. The symbol is circumcision. Secondly, there is a direct connection to Jesus. In Him. So there's symbol and there's connection. What is the symbol all about? Well, in Genesis 15, God made a covenant with Abraham. We often call it the Abrahamic covenant. What that covenant was about was God choosing Abraham out of Ur and saying he would make him a father of many nations, that he would bless him and bless those who blessed him and curse those who cursed him. And out of Abraham came the Jewish nation. So Abraham is then by the Jewish nation viewed as their father. To be Jewish is to be really within the lineage of Father Abraham. And what we find is that God in making that promise to Abraham confirms both Abraham's fidelity to God, his his relationship to God and God's rule over him. God confirms that to Abraham by use of this sign of circumcision. And the the symbol of circumcision was meant then to communicate to God from the heart of Abraham that I am faithful to you. I have embraced your covenant. So to have the covenant symbol of circumcision meant that you embraced God's rule, God's authority, God's reign, and that you were part of God's covenant community. To not embrace the subject or the symbol of circumcision in the Old Testament economy would mean that you would not be a Jew. You would reject God's rule and authority, and in effect, you would be outside of the family of God. So the symbol of circumcision was central to what it meant to be Jewish. But what was it about that symbol that was so powerful? Two things. The symbol, again, first, connected people to the Abrahamic covenant and made them Jewish. So it it connected them to their Jewish lineage. But secondly, it also, and this is important, the the act of circumcision, the sign, represented a restoration of purity by the removal of flesh. Covenant and purity were the targets of the symbol of circumcision. It communicated that the very act of creating another image bearer, that the very act of procreation is now under the rule of God, And it communicated that now the act of procreation and the whole person was symbolically purified by the removal of flesh. So the flesh represented a restoration, a removal rather, of impurity and the restoration of purity. Therefore, circumcision as a symbol in the Old Testament was designed to do two things. One, point people towards their need for God. Point them towards their need for purity to point them towards the fact that they needed to be pure and they needed to be in a right relationship with God. However, physical obedience, external righteousness, or temporary or partial purity was never the aim. Rather, what God wanted was the Old Testament concept of circumcision to be seen as a picture of a much greater reality, which is why throughout the Old Testament, God talks to his people about another kind of circumcision, a circumcision of the heart. That's why you hear in Deuteronomy, where he says to circumcise your hearts... The idea of taking out the, the flesh on the outside of the heart and, and making the heart pure again. That's why Jeremiah 4.4 4, God calls His people with stark terms remove the foreskin of your heart. It was spiritual circumcision that they needed so that the external physical circumcision was only something that was meant to communicate this to them you are not pure you need to become pure and I am sovereign and God of all and in the one thing that you most Image me, creating an image bearer. I rule over that, and I've made you clean in the process to act like me in your world. Therefore, spiritual circumcision at the end of the day was what people really needed. Now, with all of that as just kind of the frame, look at what Paul says about spiritual circumcision in verse 11. It says this First, we are circumcised in him meaning that the removal of impurity happened in Christ or through Christ. So you are circumcised in him. Secondly, notice that the circumcision was spiritual, not physical. Verse 11 says, In him also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands, meaning that this circumcision that Paul is talking about It's not a physical one, it's a spiritual one. It happens in the heart. It's the kind of thing that Jeremiah talked about when he said that one day God would give people a new heart. He'd take out the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And then it also means, finally, and and rather scandalously, that Jesus himself became the removal of flesh that created the purity. Look at what it says. It says, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So, does that mean that the circumcision of Christ when he was eight days old, that that's what he's talking about? What does he mean by the circumcision of Christ? And for that matter, what does it mean the putting off of the body? Both are symbolic terms. Symbolic phrases that refer to not the event when Jesus himself was circumcised. No, there's something far more striking, far more amazing, and far more, frankly, scandalous here. It means this, that Jesus' death, his suffering, his absorbing the wrath... Him hanging on a cross, which in the New Testament was a a symbol of scorn and shame and and a horrid cursing on the part of God, Jesus, the Son of God, becomes the impure sacrifice, the removal of flesh, so that His people could be circumcised in Him in the heart. Meaning that Jesus became the discarded flesh. The embodied son of God becomes the discarded flesh that creates new purity. In other words, listen, Jesus became your circumcision. He was the means by which you were made pure. The circumcision in the Old Testament moves someone from a stranger to a family member an alien to a son and Jesus changed your status he changed my status from enemy to friend but he didn't do it externally he did it internally so that Jesus' is suffering the, the physical way in which he absorbed the wrath of God the literal way in which he became the impurity of God's wrath Jesus now becomes your spiritual circumcision so that that the old is gone and purity comes and now real spiritual purity is restored. Do you see how in Paul's day for him to say, in Jesus you have been circumcised or you were circumcised in Him by the putting off of the flesh when he says that the Son of God is the discarded flesh, what an unbelievably powerful symbol and statement that would be. That we live now in a spiritual reality those of us who have fled to Christ for our forgiveness and the spiritual reality is that He became the discarded flesh. I'm circumcised in Him and God, by His infinite grace and Jesus, because of His horrible suffering, now declare me to be something I never was and never could be. I am morally and ethically and spiritually and sexually pure. That's unbelievable. And Paul says, you are circumcised in him. So, there's some stuff we got to live in light of, don't you think? I mean, a truth that huge and that important needs to be lived and operated in in the world in which we live. we got to live on the basis of that spiritual position. Second symbol is the symbol of baptism. The second symbol here is that baptism, by definition, points us to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If, if circumcision points us to the suffering of Christ and ultimately his death, then the baptism that we just saw points us to the burial and ultimately the resurrection of Christ. You see, the scandal of heaven was that the Son of God died. But the scandal of hell was that he rose from the grave. And baptism speaks not only of a sufficient payment for sin, baptism speaks of the resurrected power with which we walk in newness of life. So when you see buried in him and baptized in him in the New Testament, you're also going to see raised with him. The focus of baptism is not so much on the burial, it's on the resurrection which is why we don't hold the person underwater very long, right? We bring them down, and we bring them back up, and they're all wet. They look completely different than when they went in, and the idea is you're buried so you can get up and out. We dip you into the water so when we pull you out, there's this sense of this is what has happened in Christ. You were buried in Him, and you are then raised with Him to walk in newness of life. Baptism is a symbol closely connected to the resurrection of Jesus. It declares that the stranglehold of sin has been broken by Jesus' conquering of sin and death. It means that I can be free from Satan's power because of the power of my Savior. doesn't mean that I can do it. It means that He can do it. Now, if you look at the text, it says we were buried with him in baptism, buried with him in baptism, in which also you were raised with him. And some of you might think, well, that seems to imply that the baptism is what buries us in him, meaning that baptism then creates the burial. However, that's not true in other passages of scripture where it describes that we were buried with him and we're raised with him, what is happening here is that the baptism event is a symbol of a very important spiritual reality. God's intention in the symbol of baptism is to show us what our burial and resurrection in Christ looks like. So baptism as a symbol simply indicates that there's another spiritual reality that's already happened. So when a person goes in the waters of baptism and they're raised, we're just showing you what has already taken place spiritually. When the moment you received Christ and you repented of your sins and you by faith put your trust in Jesus, you were buried in Him, you were plunged into His death, and you were raised, the Bible says, so you could walk in newness of life. And that spiritual reality is pictured in this beautiful symbol that we call baptism. Now it's really important for you to realize that this symbol pictures another spiritual reality for two reasons. The first is that Paul is fighting against those who would make rules and spiritual practices and spiritual activities a means of spiritual improvement, as if they could improve upon Jesus. So baptism, although very meaningful, and I believe required in terms of obedience for believers in following Jesus, doesn't improve on the work of Christ. It's simply an outward visual demonstration that I believe in Jesus and this is what happened to me. Watch, I was buried and I've been raised, so I'm going to walk in newness of life. The idea is that this pictures something far beyond what we actually see. The second reason why that's important, this idea that the symbol in and of itself pictures another reality, is that in Colossians 2 and 3, Paul is going to call us over and over and over to live by the spiritual realities of our lives. You're going to hear him say things like, put on and put off. But you will find out that those put on and put off statements are actually statements that refer to spiritual positions and realities that have already taken place. Meaning... It's not so much for you to will yourself into it as it is for you to live in light of what Jesus has already done. It means that there is a spiritual position, a position of of freedom, a position of forgiveness, a position of God-given grace that you've already been placed into and that our problem is not working harder. No, our problem is realizing that that work has been done and living in light of it. And Paul, over and over, will say things like, if you have been raised with Christ, then seek those things that are above. And so central to understanding Colossians 2 and 3 is this connection between position and reality, between where you live in a spiritual realm and where you live every day. And the problem is that if you get too tied into the symbols like circumcision or baptism and you forget the spiritual reality then you'll miss the whole point of the symbol in the first place. Which is why whenever someone is baptized, we ought to think back, of that happened to me spiritually when I received Christ. So don't forget the reality when you're seeing the symbol. That would be like me going to the Vietnam War Memorial. How many of you have been there? Vietnam War Memorial? I tried to guess at how many names were on the wall. I guessed 20,000. Not even close. You know how many names are on that wall? Fifty-eight thousand one hundred and ninety-five. If you've been there, you know that that slab of granite cuts deep into the earth, and the further you go down, the larger the names the list becomes. It would be like standing at the, the, the war memorial of, of, of the Vietnam War memorial, seeing fifty-eight thousand one hundred ninety-five names, and saying to my wife, while I saw all of those names, "That's a pretty cool color granite. Don't you think that'd look good in our kitchen?" It would be so offensive. If 58,000 names and all I can see is the color of the granite behind, I would miss the point of the symbol. And that's what Paul is saying here. You cannot miss circumcision and baptism for what they represent. It's something so much larger, so much more significant, that your spiritual position has been radically changed. Baptism means that Jesus died in your place. When he died, you died. When we sing on Easter, you know, he rose a victor from the dark domain. It's not just that we're saying he rose. It's that we are celebrating we rose. It means that I'm free. That's why Easter is like the greatest Sunday of the whole calendar year. Because we're not just celebrating that he blew the door off the grave. We're celebrating that we, by God's power through Christ, walk in newness of life. Let me show you this. Look at Romans 6, 3. Romans 6, 3. There is this direct connection, again, between position and life, position and life. I'm going to say that over and over because I want you to realize that who you are in Jesus affects how you live. Romans 6.3, here's what Paul says. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. In order... Here's the purpose. So why did this happen? It gets as practical as this. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, we too might walk in newness of life. Meaning that like Jesus was raised from the dead, therefore that we ought to then be raised with Him in how we act and live and the freedom that we have in Jesus. So that the resurrection of Christ and my daily life are directly connected. We were buried with Him. We were raised with Him. There's a real death. There's a real victory. But it is only in Him. And the point of circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism in the New, and the whole reason why Paul says you've been circumcised in Him and baptized in Him is to help us understand that there is a spiritual reality, a realm in which you live, a position that you've been given, and that realm needs to be constantly lived in the practical world of where you are. You need to see that being in Christ is everything and always connecting your heart to that reality. Your position has changed and therefore your world has changed. Now let me let me illustrate this for you so hopefully you'll like lock in and know what this means. On June 25th, 1993, my status in life changed radically. June 25th, 1993, I pledged my vows at Berean Baptist Church in Portage, Michigan, uh, no, rather, Alaska Baptist Church in Caledonia, Michigan. Not that that matters to any of you, but I just want to get that straight. And um, I pledged my vows to my wife. And at that moment, I moved from single to married. This Last night, I did a wedding in Holland. And I pronounced, I pronounced you, Joel and Kara, husband and wife. And that moment, they're husband and wife. And suddenly, their world shifts from being single to now being married. And when I candidated, I told you about some of the trauma of that transition in my life, like putting toilet seats down and things of that sort, right? I told you about that. Let me tell you about another kind of trauma with that. I remember that transition from single to married. There's a lot of things that change. For instance, the first week, I'm not sleeping well. The reason is, is there's somebody else in the bed with me, right? And she's moving. I'm like waking up, right? Like stop moving so much, you know. And and then I remember one morning, like four in the morning, I woke up in this kind of sleepy grog, you know, where you're just kind of like, where am I and everything else. And I woke up and suddenly I realized that I, I don't I don't really know where I am. I'd forgotten about our wedding, and I'm not even sure I'm not even sure where I am, like in the country. And then I'm like, and oh my goodness, who am I in bed with, right? And then I have, like Sarah, and I have all these guilt things like, Oh no, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done? Oh no, right? And I have just waves of guilt. And then I realize, no, I'm married. (laughs) This is legal, you know? And I got a certificate that says I can be here, right? And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm married, you know? So, 24 hours earlier, it would have been sinful and wrong, And because some pastor says, I pronounce you husband and wife, now it's legal and right. I mean, that's the transfer of position to reality. And the fact is, is that you have been declared by Christ to be circumcised in Him and to be buried in Him. And that spiritual reality has real and tangible and substantive effects of where you live. It relates to how you view your sins of your past. It relates to how you view your present struggles. It relates to the power that you rely upon in order to make a difference in your life and the present world in which you live. It's intricately connected to how you do marriage and life and how you view everything in your world, that you need to connect who you are and where you live to the person and work of Christ all the time. But it's not that who we are in Him is just about salvation. No, Rather, it is that we are in Him, and all of what that means should infiltrate our life all day long. And this morning, what I am arguing for is that we, meet, we need to connect our position to our lives and do so in fresh and new ways and live out the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. So there's two symbols, baptism and circumcision. Next, look at the text. It says this. Here is how we then accomplish this. He says in verse 12, you're buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, and notice what it says, through faith. So he says that there's one way to live, and the way that we are to live is by faith. We are rooted in him, We are built in him, we are filled in him, we're circumcised with him, we're buried with him, we're raised with him, and we're to put off the old man, chapter 3 and verse 9, we're to put on the new man, and all of this is done by faith. It's done by faith. It's that I see what the Bible says about my relationship with Christ. I see where I am described as, and I I can't actually, I, I see it in the Bible, but I don't see it in reality, and I choose to by faith believe that this is what God says about me. I choose to believe that God says that if I've run to Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, that all my sins are forgiven. I choose to believe that when he says I put off the old man with all of its deceit and lies and lusts and pain, that I really could live in freedom and do of life. I see that he says you've been raised with him, that there's power in the resurrection of Christ, and I believe that I don't have to sin, not because of me, but because there's a power latent within the person of Christ available to me. And I choose to believe that by faith. So to receive Jesus as Savior means that you believe that his life and death can be applied to you. And in theological terms, we call that vicarious atonement. So the word vicarious, let's just talk for a minute. Familiar with that term vicarious? Okay, what, what does that term mean? Somebody tell me, what does vicarious mean? Someone give me a definition. Yeah, wait in the back. Alright, good. Live your life through Jesus. What else? Good. Substitutionary. What else? Take the place of. Substitute. Live your life through someone else. It also means that you represent someone else. You've heard maybe of a vicar, right? Meaning that's the word comes from it. It means that you represent someone else. What I want you to understand is that too often we take the vicarious atonement of Christ and we limit it to just what Jesus did on the cross. Meaning that Jesus gloriously took our place. And here's the the beauty of what happened in grace. Grace. It is that Jesus hung on the cross and vicarious atonement means that He took your place. He suffered for you. That there was a divine exchange. That He received your sin. And this is unbelievable. You then received His righteousness. That He received your judgment and you received complete obedience. And God looks at you as if you've perfectly kept the law. He looks at you as if you are 100% righteous. And listen, the only reason why God sees you that way is because of your vicarious relationship with Jesus. Because we know and God knows and all of heaven knows we didn't obey. Instead, we rebelled and all of heaven knows that only Jesus was the one who was sufficient to pay for those sins. And that's why it is called vicarious. We, we sing the song, man of sorrows, right? And we, we say things like this, bearing shame and scoffing rude, say this next line with me, in my place condemned he stood. That's what vicarious atonement means. It means in my place condemned, he stood. Here's the sinless Son of God who deserves no condemnation. He stands in my place, becomes the discarded flesh. He dies. He's risen from the dead. And I, listen, share in all of that. So when he does it, God sees it as though I have done it as well. Not me physically, but he puts me in Christ. So when Christ is I die when he is buried I'm buried and when he is risen I am risen as well and here's the reason why this is so important because so many believers think that vicarious living simply means that when Jesus hung on the cross he took my sacrifice and I want to suggest to you that was the starting point of vicarious living it was the starting point it was not the ending point That essentially, Jesus calls to us to a continual life of living through Him. It means that there is a direct connection between the activity of my soul and Jesus. It means there is an umbilical cord of grace from Him to my heart. That every ounce of spiritual life comes from Him. It began the moment that I received Christ and it continues all throughout my life. Colossians 2.13 tells us how this happens. Through the faith, through faith in the powerful working of God, meaning I place my faith in the fact that God has promised to take Christ's death and count it as my own, means that Jesus, by definition, becomes the means by which I now live. So Paul, when dealing with Peter's drift in Galatians 2, confronts him and says, Peter, I am crucified with Christ And it is not I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's not just a theological statement, College Park. That is a practical statement of how you live when people start to spiritually drift. Do you see the connection between position and the reality of life? Paul wants us to see that being circumcised in him and being buried in him has enormous ramifications for how we live and where we live because in seeing circumcision and baptism through this lens, I see the beauty and power of Jesus and his ability to live and work in and through me. So the question then is this. So how do we do this? How does this work out practically? Here's the first one. You ready? It is first and foremost that I must know Jesus. Meaning I must have received Him as Savior. I must know what He did. I must know why He did it and what it all means. And that's where some of you are this morning. You've never received Christ as your Savior and you don't you don't have a spiritual position. Actually, you don't have a, a valid spiritual position. Right now you're in judgment. You've not ever made it right between you and your God. And you tried all sorts of things to do it, to, to change that spiritual position. you try tried all sorts of spiritual activities, or lots of prayers, even giving. Or, and the reality is none of that's going to work. And the only way to be right is to know the person and work of Christ and have Him become your Lord and Savior, for you to have Him vicariously become your sacrifice. But it also means that for those of us who know that truth, that the relationship with Christ in this way is personal. That we have to have a relationship with Him, to worship Him, to, to know how to live by Him. That we see Him in the Word and we choose to say, that's how I need to live. I live, I live by knowing you, Jesus. Which is why we hear Paul say, oh, to know Him and the power of His resurrection. He didn't just say, I want to know His power. He said, I want to know Him. And I want to call some of you today to come back to knowing Jesus. Not just knowing about Him or knowing what the Bible says, but I mean knowing the Lord Jesus in a personal and real way. And to some of you, to start not believing in your wife or your husband's or your child's ability to change, but that you could say, I don't know Jesus, but you can change them. And so for you to know Jesus. The second thing here is that we learn to live by faith. Meaning that I take the promises that I see in the Bible and I come to terms with the fact that faith in Christ began at the cross but faith continues on for the rest of my life. That Christianity is essentially a life of faith where I see the promises of God and I choose to believe them. I see the promise of God and I choose to live in light of them. I see this position of circumcised in Him and raised with Him and I choose to believe that it's real. So last this last weekend, I'm up in Michigan at a wedding. We had two weddings, and I had to fix some stuff at our house. We have you know two houses right now: one in Michigan, one here. And the house of in Michigan has a for sale sign on it, and it's empty. It's a house that I built, assuming we were going to be there forever. A lot of memories with that house. There's a tree in the front yard that family members gave us at the death of our daughter. There's memories. And you need to know that it is a huge spiritual battle for me to know that there is a house up in Michigan as the housing market continues to drop and gas prices go up. And I look at that house and everything about it represents fear, anxiety, frustration, things like, God, there's just one thing left I need you to take care of. And it's this. And I'm in that house, and I'm fixing some things up. Our outdoor our pool has got way too much water in it, so I'm draining it. And the top of the cover's got, it's like a swamp, and there's like three million tadpoles in it. And I'm like, what do I do with these tadpoles? I think if I could bleach it, then I'd have like three million dead carcass tadpoles. And I'm like, what do you do with those? And so I'm walking around the house. The sprinkling system's broken, so I've got to fix that. And I walk in the house, and there's dust all over the floor. And I'm just like, Lord, I, I can't do this. And I'm on my knees, and I'm I'm, I'm wiping up the dust, and thinking, this is just killing me. And it's then that I think about being circumcised in Christ. I'm thinking about my sermon, and I'm thinking, Lord, it doesn't matter. In you, I have everything. I've been raised with you, and I'm told to seek things that are above. I'm to take even this fear that I have, and to use it as a platform to say I can... Yeah, I have some fear, but the reality is I'm secure in Christ. And I start focusing my mind and my heart because I'm preaching to my own soul. Just because you feel something, Mark, doesn't mean that it's true. And you got to think about your thinking right now. And I'm reminding myself I'm in Christ. I'm rooted in Him. I'm built in Him. I'm safe. I'm secure. And I start singing a song that was written for those kind of moments by a housewife. It goes like this. I need Thee, oh, I need Thee. Every hour I need Thee. You know that song? And I'm singing that, connecting the umbilical cord of my heart to my Savior. And that is how, beloved, position works. You connect your heart to the position that you have in Jesus, and you say things like, I know that I'm rooted in You, and I'm baptized in You, and I've been raised with You, so help me walk in newness of life. It means finally, then, that we have to learn how to live through Jesus. Meaning, I've got to stop believing lies about myself. When the enemy throws things into my mind or I think things, i got to believe what the Word of God says. I've got to saturate my mind and heart with the truth of the Word. I've got to pray for the power of Christ to be in me. I've got to declare war on all forms of pride and self-sufficiency because it's through Jesus that I survive, not through Mark i got to find my security in Christ, not in people or position or or knowing the future. And I should rejoice when I am stripped or I am in fear. And I must rejoice because when I am weak, then what? He is strong. Right. So I rejoice in weakness. Why? So that the power of Christ can flow through me in fresh and new ways. And the only way you can do that is by faith. You have to preach that to your heart. God has given us amazing and powerful symbols like circumcision and baptism, but they pale into comparison of the reality of what we have in Jesus. We were buried with Him in baptism. We were raised to walk in newness of life. And we have to believe that by faith. And this is, in essence, the heart of practical Christianity. It is learning To live today on the spiritual position that God has given you in Christ. And to anchor your soul on this beautiful phrase, I'm circumcised in Him, I am completely pure, I am completely righteous, I'm completely forgiven, I've been buried with Him, I've been raised with Him, and therefore I can walk in newness of life. Talk about hope. Wow. Hope doesn't rest in me. Hope rests in Jesus, which is why today I plead with you, if you've never come to him, to turn your heart to Jesus because your life will never be complete without him and you'll always be under God's judgment. That's why I plead with you, if you don't know these positions, to meditate on them, to think on them, because this becomes the heart and soul of who we are and why also it means that we got to learn how to connect our life to these things. we got to live differently. we got to live in light of our position. How many of you have ever bought something on eBay? Let me your hands. <laughs> it's a different kind of shopping experience, isn't it? Um, maybe around Christmas time, it's competitive shopping. But eBay is constant competitive shopping, right? Um, I've had it before. When, before, I had dial-up when we were in Michigan. And I'm trying to put a bid. And I'm like, come on, 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 right? The last minute. And then it's kicking me back. No! And I'm putting another one in, right? And there's this, this competitiveness. I'll spend more money. Because I am in a competitive mode, right? So eBay had this um, this advertisement that they ran not too long ago of of a, of a greyhound racetrack, except the people, the things running the race were people, um, not dogs, and they were chasing after an antique radio. They're running after it, you know, and trying. And then the guy grabs it and he lifts it up a high, you know. And the tagline is uh, eBay Shop victoriously, you know, because it's like, yeah, I won, right? And that, that fits, because if you ever won something on eBay, you know that's true. In fact, Friday evening, my wife had put a bid on some school books for our kids for the fall, and uh, in years previously, we started that process too late. We ended up paying way too much money. And this time, she got like a math book for three bucks, right? And so I said, hey, babe, looks like you're going to win. She's like, are you serious? Like, oh, yeah, you won. And she's sitting there right in the floor. And she goes, yes, right? So there it is. <laughs> Shop victoriously, right? She doesn't ever come home and, from Target and go, look what I got, right? Yeah. Shop victoriously. The little tagline is this. Life is better when you win it. I want to suggest to you that that's not only... An interesting way to think about shopping but i want to suggest to you there's probably a better way for us to even think about living because this morning the moniker the thought i want to put into your heart is this i want you to live vicariously i want to suggest to you that life isn't just better when you win it i want to suggest to you that life is better listen when he wins it that the essence of the christian life and practical christian living is this that we say look i choose today to live vicariously so someone says, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm awesome. I am living vicariously. Like, what in the world does that mean, right? I am I'm living through Jesus Christ. I, all of my hopes, all of my dreams, all of my passions, they all come through Him. And the only way that I live is through the person and work of Christ. And to be circumcised in Him and to be baptized in Him means that everything I am all flows through Him. And the essence of Christian living is to learn to live like that to live vicariously. So Jesus, I pray this morning that you would help us to do just that, to live through you, to not live through ourselves or somehow through um, a rote methodology, but to live through you and to anchor our position in and through you, and to learn how to attach the umbilical cord of our hearts to yours. And so this morning I pray for brothers and sisters who today need to return, that they can't do it, but Jesus can. And, and I pray that that would become not just a little slogan, that, that would be like real living Pray for people battling cancer, wayward children, hard, hard stuff, that today you just connect them to you again and say, look, you can't do this when you're weak. Listen, then I am strong. Oh, Lord, help us. So, Lord, help us now to go in the peace of Christ. Let that peace of God rule our hearts as we set our minds on things above and not on things on the earth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go live vicariously. God bless you.